What is up, everyone? I'm finally back. Had a little health crisis there for a while. Took a long time to recover, but I am finally able to, I think, have enough old uh, air in the lungs to get through a 30-minute episode. So, uh, so yeah, so if you're wondering, you know, where you've been, you've been missing out on your uh, history, Phil. Well, I was sick, so... But during that time, it inspired what today's episode is going to be about. And yes, we're sticking with those Romans and we're going to talk about Roman medicine because I sat in the hospital just thinking, I wonder what these Romans could do. Like, what would I have been dead that say in the Roman days or would they have been able to help me? Because a lot of people think, oh man, the Middle Ages, you got a cold. You know, you're on your last breath. But we're going to investigate today whether or not that's true. And what kind of level of healthcare could you have gotten in, say, circa 100 in ancient Rome? So, before we dive too much into that, I want to thank our parent uh, podcast, as always, uh, Tales from the Abyss, for giving us this chance to be able to jump in here and talk a little Roman history. Um, so, thank you all, and remember to stay tuned throughout the week for everybody else's content, uh, as there's new stuff being put out every day. Although on Tuesdays it's been lacking, but we've already discussed why, and that's, you know, not my fault. We'll say it's the medicals. So, let's jump into something fun and get into some of this Roman medicine. And what, what kind of level of healthcare could you have expected, say, from ancient Rome? Well, actually, the Romans were renowned for advancements in medicine. In fact, um, in, in most of the sections, we're talking public health. Surgery and alarm with along with pharmaceutical so pharmaceuticals, excuse me, pharmacology. But the main area that we're going to talk about Roman advancements, the idea within public health and what actually what kind of surgeries they could perform. Because if you're thinking back in these older times, you can imagine that hygiene wasn't very high on the list, or at least people would think that, particularly when you look at the Middle Ages and you kind of see how Europe went, um, you know, in the Renaissance and the high and the late Middle Ages. It's quite a disgusting place so you would think man well the people before them had to have been pretty gross too but actually health within rome was at a at a very high level not and we'll get into more detail but just the availability of clean water that they had is in many parts of the world today in fact romans had more availability to claim water than in some third world countries like i said even still to today and we'll get into more detail, but um, what, what they were able to do, I mean, think about it. The, the bubonic plague ravages Europe because it's utterly disgusting um, and you're living with your animals, so the fleas are able to spread more quickly. And then when you have the pneumonic form, you know, because of your close quarter and, and um, really an unhygienic lifestyle, it's, it bred one of the most perfect breeding grounds for any kind of disease to have spread. And yet... We don't see a disease like that during the Roman Empire. I mean, you see the Antonine Plague. Okay. You see the Plague of Justinian. Okay. But we're talking a span of Roman history that almost more than doubles what you would say is the Middle Age time. And you have very few of these epidemics. Particularly on the scale that you would see later on in the recurring scale of the bubonic plague that you would see throughout the middle ages it wasn't just one occurrence in the 1300s it would reappear almost every 20 years so so they were doing something right and what it was was their not only their advancement 
in public baths what was available because within your bath, you know, you would actually show up as available to Roman citizens and you would have three levels of your bath. And each three of these stages would have different temperatures of water. You'd begin in a very hot bath, which would be a smaller bath, of course, to ensure that the water was heated. Um, and then you would go to a, a, a more warm, like a, a less hot, more warm type of soak. And then finally you would finish with a cool down and you would jump you know, to what would be a normal larger pool. The idea for that was to open up your pores and you know, clean out. Now, apart from that, olive oil was used along with other forms of cleaning. You, know, you, you, could, you, could, you could rub oil, olive oil on you and scrape it off, and what that would do was pull off a lot of the gunk, pull off a lot of the dirt, um, make it available for when you did get into that water and wash it. You actually could open, clean up some of those pores and open it. So without having what we would have now with traditional soap, the Romans actually had a lot of different things um, that, they would, that they would use different processes depending on, of course, what kind of money you had. Um, but even the common person would be able to go to the bathhouse at their due times because, you know, you think there's only so many bathhouses in a city and they were open to all Roman citizens. Every Roman citizen had a right to be there, but you had time frames and because that was the only way you could really do it. it was, you'd, you'd set up time blocks. But that being said, um, what was available to the, any of the Romans when you got there at the bathhouse would have been your basic needs for, for cleanliness. You know, you'd have been, you know, had the, 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 the ensured clean water because it was actually what was awesome. The uh, bathhouses were connected in a piping system because a lot of people don't know, but Rome actually ran on piping systems just like we have it today. Um, you would have water in, water out. Uh, the outwater, so like these pools would be continuing being filled with clean water while unclean water was being filtered or being poured out. Um, the same as you would have in the public restrooms, actually, uh, which there were, and we'll get into a little detail after we're done with these um, bathhouses, but you, they were all run on underground piping. Now, the Romans, unfortunately, were using lead pipes, which led to a completely different problem that we're not going to get into today, but might explain why you had a high rate of uh, kind of crazy people within Rome, most likely because they had lead poisoning. Um, but the very fact that they were innovative enough to actually have in and out water, like you could have hot and cold running water going in and out through advanced piping systems, little different, and in fact, truly no different than what we have today. In fact, I had the opportunity to see some of this while I was in Pompeii um, on a study abroad, and you could, and what was so cool is that the pipes were only visible in the broken walls because they wouldn't have been exposed. They wouldn't have been running around. You know, they had them hidden. They had them tucked away. They were under the floors. I mean, it was no different than what we had today. So, I mean, it's just, it's just very cool. Um, but on top of that, in these bathhouses, you would also have uh, guys walking around selling food, guys walking around selling cleaning products. Um, you know, you'd have your snake oil salesmen, no doubt, there selling whatever, uh, you know, magic medicines they were giving out or some clean, clean thing. And for all we know, they might have been right. I mean, maybe they came up with some cool stuff. But, you know, the bathhouse was a whole experience. You went there with your friends. You could buy a prostitute if you wanted to while you were at it, you know. So all, all luxuries were available. But the point was, it was a social thing to go to the bathhouse. It was a, it was a meeting spot. It's where deals were made. Um, just like you 
would imagine there were different levels of a bathhouse. You know, it wasn't all just one community pool. There were, how would we say, um, oh. upper floors, right? You could go to the top floor <laughs> where the more important people would bathe. But, but the point was it was a community thing. That's where you met. But what that means is that the Romans were ingrained in their people that cleanliness was not only something that you should do if you can, it was something that needed to be prioritized. Because the Romans did not want to have ravaging diseases running across your population. That's not good for business. It's not good for taxation. So they knew this, and so they got their people ingrained into the idea of cleanliness. Because that is a very Greek thing, actually, that most other people would view as something very feminine. uh, A sign of weakness, almost. uh, That, particularly amongst the Germanic tribes, they would look at it as basically women bathe and men shouldn't worry about stuff like that. And also they really hated that the Romans shaved. Um, They basically thought that the Romans were just a bunch of wimpy women who cared more about shaving and bathing than they did actually about being men. But, um, but that just kind of just goes to show you the reputation of cleanliness that Rome was portraying and and, and their people had bought into it because they, I mean, they, they garnered those reputations, but um, but there was major advancements out of that. I mean, we had, we had spoke previously a little bit about Alexandria. Well, they, you know, the Roman control of Egypt means that Alexandria is now within their sphere. The college there, uh, which I know we've mentioned before, but their advancements in medicine were renowned. Um, I mean, they came up with a lot of, and I want to say it was Galen, but I could be wrong on that. So maybe if someone's listening and you know um, the answer here, you can come in and correct me on that. But I want to say it was Galen, who has who was in the Alexandria. He was he was a, a medicine student there, who wrote one of the first real medical books, as you can see. And what I mean by that is there was actually depictions. There was there was um, you would have had pictures of a uh, dissected body showing where where to com- do this surgery, where to go to fix you know whatever issue you were trying to fix, and we'll get into some of what they could actually do here in a second. But he actually, and then he had known recipes for remedy. He had known um, you know known at the time uh, problems and solutions for all these different medical uh, you know different issues that you could have, and it was actually a book that was referenced all the way through the, the Middle Ages. Um, so for, I mean, very close to about a thousand years worth that this guy from Alexandria was the main reference point for anything, for anything medical. And it's because, you know, have we talked before all that was available to the students and of course the um, researchers at Alexandria. But, um, you know, another thing that really helped with it is that the Romans ability to, uh, to create surgical tools, they had actually a very, um, how should I say it? It's like a, uh, they were actually able to make very high quality products that, for being an ancient time, were highly effective. You could have surgical tools like knives, hooks, even spatulas that were made from a very high quality material, and they would even sterilize them before use. Now, that is something that would not resurface in the Western world about sterilization and keeping. Um, surgical areas clean until you in, in, until the 1800s now my sister's gonna kill me because i didn't say the the nurse's name um and i'm gonna attempt to remember it before 
before she hears this because she will not be happy if I can't recall this person. And actually, I'm pretty upset. Let's see. I'm going to have to look this up. Sorry, Lauren. I don't know it. Florence Nightingale. Oh, thank God. I was getting ready to look it up. I beat it. I only typed in a, uh, a W for the who. I swear to God. So I pulled that one out of nowhere. But yeah, ever, you wouldn't have a resurfacing of that understanding of bacterial infection until Florence Nightingale. So very cool that you even have sterilization and they would know to do that. But the point was, like I was saying, they would have these specialized tools. Um, one in particular, the Romans were able to extract cataracts. If you were to have a milking over of your eye, um, you know, pinning your vision, the Romans actually did come up and create a this unique tool, and it was a very delicate tool. You'd have to go look it up because it's going to be next to impossible for me to describe. But think of a long tube device, little different than what we would see as a syringe today, except maybe the width of a pencil. And it came down to an extremely fine point, much like a pencil, except it was hollow in the middle. So a, a metal straw cylinder little smaller than a pencil that went down into that fine of a point and with a doctor's trained hand he could he could stick that point just beneath your eye level to where you reached that pocket of, of liquid that was that was causing that 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 um the cataracts and what he could do is very gently like a straw suck out the cataracts and it was effective and it worked and and we have recorded um, instances where it was a successful surgery. Now that's well. What the story about that one makes it cool is that to create that type of tool in the ancient times takes precision metal work. I mean, we're not talking just casting something, you know, all willy nilly. Like, like, like this needs to be precisioned, much like you have tools today in the medical field that have to that meet certain standards that have to be you know x y and z for it to work in a, in a medical situation i mean there's no different there and they, and they understood this and so these tools were actually very cool um very intricate and showed a very high level of understanding of not only metal work but what was needing to be accomplished and with well, and, and, that, and that's just one thing what also is really cool is that the romans and this is, I mean, again, we have um, historical records on successful surgeries, but more importantly, we know this to be fact because we actually found skulls which have shown very clearly that there would have been brain surgery because you would see a skull with a hole with a metal plate actually nailed over the hole. And you would have scar tissue and growth around the, um, that, that, that metal cylinder proving that whoever had this done lived after the surgery because there was scar tissue growth and the skull basically reformed around the metal plate that was put in his head. And I, I, these were military, by the way. I'm, I'm referring to head trauma, like, you know, getting bashed in the head with a club or maybe taking a rock, you know, if you were uh, maybe charging the battlements and someone chucked a rock on your head, you know, crushing your skull. What that would cause then is trauma to your brain, particularly if you had any kind of fracture bones in your skull, it would cause pressure buildup in your head, putting that pressure onto your brain. And it would cause you to, of course, eventually die because of the pressure in, in, your, in your head building up. Well, Roman surgeons knew to go in, to cut a hole into your head, release the pressure, take out 
what would be the mangled skull bits and then replace the hole with a metal with a metal cap and they held it back on the head and it was successful and they were able to to do this and what's even more incredible is i mean and these, and these are the extremes we're talking you know extracting cataracts we're talking brain surgery so if they can do these things, imagine all the other elements that they could fix. I'm not going to go through the list of all the things that they, they can do, but just knowing those extremes, you can put two and two together that you could actually get pretty decent medical care. Of course, it depends on how much you had. And, um, you know, they didn't really have premium plans and commercial insurances back then, so it straight up just went with how much money you had. But you could even have your surgery done and get say the part of your body dead and say you're having surgery on your foot and you didn't want to feel someone cutting open your leg because you know back then you didn't really have so much uh you didn't get put under really right that's what you're thinking like oh man surgeries back then sucks you, you know you had to feel it all true unless you could afford to have the doctor bring in a special um stingray like a skate almost it was like like think of like an electric eel but it was like a uh like a small uh, little, what do you call them, damn things? Um, stingray things, yeah, little skates, whatever. But it was electric. And what it would do is, I want to say they were in the Adriatic, but they could have been more into Greece. I could be wrong on that, but it was somewhere around um, Greece, I think, that these uh, particular animals were known you know, to inhabit. And if you, and what would happen is people would step on them, they would, it get to a little electrocution, your foot would go numb. Well, Roman surgeons would take these things, have them in a bath, and if you're having surgery on your arm or something and you could afford it, you could put your arm in there, let these things shock you, and the Roman surgeon could then get to work and you wouldn't feel it. And if it started to wear off, he would just shock you again. So you actually could have surgery, go through it, and be put under in every sense because, I mean, um, there were many different ways you could knock someone out from the good old fun fashion way of just handing them a bottle and saying, have at it. And whenever they're done, you know, we'll come on in. That's the Confederate way of doing it because, uh, you know, Confederacy didn't have much uh, <laughs> painkillers or anything like that. So they just have them a bottle of Jack and say, have, you know, have your fill and then we're cutting your arm off. <laughs> so, um, you know, you could either go that way or you could, you know, back in the day, you could actually get a little uh, anesthetics there and, you know, get, get yourself... Um, you know, feeling good, and I don't know if they had uh, painkillers that you could get whacked out on, but although I'm pretty sure they did have something like that, I wasn't able to really confirm what kind of pain medicine they were able to make outside of, like, you know, the herbal uh, different things that they would use. Now, we do know that opium or things like that um, were being exported out of uh, the Middle East because there were cultures from way before you know in the middle eastern history you knew of the qualities of the, of the different pain killing um herbs that you would get from that area so i'm unsure of the extent that they were used although i don't doubt at all that say you had because another particular area within the roman empire that was um in a, a learning center would have been areas like you know uh damascus caesarea uh, places like that. So I don't doubt at all that you might have had a surgeon or a medical someone coming out there who may have known of these different uh, Middle Eastern type of pain because who would have implemented. So very cool stuff. Um, and then basically in conclusion, Rome made many advancements that were groundbreaking for the time. I mean, not just the tools and the technology that it takes to not only make the tools, but to 
to know what you're looking for. I mean, we revert after Rome to if you have a strep throat, it's because you've pissed off some deity, you know? And, but the Romans were able to not only diagnose what's going on, but actually for the time, and in many ways they were correct, um, diagnose the issue and come up with a plan to fix it because they understood that there was something wrong with the body, that it wasn't a curse or a punishment that, you know, like you got bashed in the head, you're, 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 it's not just like, oh, we're going to hope you make it. Like they knew that something's wrong. Like we got, we got to release the pressure in his head. So, I mean, that shows a very high level of scientific understanding of the human body and how it worked. And so, um, very, very cool stuff. It goes against completely the narrative of that back in the day, medicine was archaic. Medicine was, you know, just axes and hacking off limbs and being like, oh, well, like you're in God's hands now. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it unfortunately that we did go there later on, but during Roman times, you actually could have gotten a high level of, uh, of medical assistance. And it's just very cool um, that the most of their, I, like, like the public health is what by far was, in my opinion, because I mean, you do have these really cool, unique cataracts extracting things. You know, you had the skates that can uh, numb your arm for surgery and all that, but that was not available widely to the normal person. You know, that, that's like anything else. If you have the money, then sure. But we're talking about a small percent of the population. What they did as far as public health affected everyone. And I think that is what is really the, the coolest part of all this is because they, had, they made it into a cultural thing. Um, we skipped over the, uh, the toilet part, which I was going to get back to, the public, bath, the public toilets. But what was very cool about that is that was all based on running water. Um, now, I'll tell you, it was, uh, you really got to know your neighbors there because you didn't have individual stalls. I don't know if anyone's ever been on a battleship where you basically just have benches and benches with holes in them and everyone's kind of just taking a crap together and you're, you know, saying what's up to your buddies, you know. So it was definitely an open setting, but it was constant running water. So when you did use the restroom, it was taken complete. It was taken out. It was sent into the Quacka Maxima, which would have been your main um, uh, sewer system, and from the sewer system out into the Tiber. So it was actually very clean, uh, very efficient, and you had constant clean running water taking the excrement away. Now. What was funny about this? Now, another thing is worms were very prominent. Pretty much everyone had worms. And um, what's really disgusting is kind of like why this would spread so easy. Well, you know, mentioning the public baths and using the restroom. Um, they didn't have toilet paper like we would have today. So what would they do? Well, you had a sponge on a stick. And that's, I'm not kidding, you had a little stick with a sponge on it. And what's funny is if you go look up a Roman bathroom or a Roman toilet, you'll see that the top, obviously, where you'd be sitting down would be a hole. That makes sense. And then right under, kind of like where your legs would be hanging down, you'll see a second hole in between there. And that was so you could stick your stick with your um, sponge on there to clean your butt. Now, you were expected to have your stick with you. Well, I think we can all imagine that somebody ran out the house without their poo stick and so what would you do if you got to the bathroom without the poo stick? Well, you could rent one. 
or you could borrow a friend's. Now, this is disgusting, but like the thought of it now, but yeah, a lot of people would borrow their friend's poo stick. And as you can imagine, worms were spread quite frequently that day. So, not, not a perfect system, but when considering we're talking about BC, first few centuries AD, and um, at least they knew to, you know, to bring their poo sticks with them, and they would clean them. I mean, you'd have like buckets of water that you could wash your poo stick with. But it's just, it's just very cool because like, I'm, in many ways, and in fact, I mean, it's not even just many ways, they were more clean, more available clean water than third world countries today. Um, and we're talking again, something that's 2000 years ago, but I think I'll cut it off. Uh, there don't want to get too much into the, uh, to the weeds of it. I mean, cause when you're talking about something like this, I mean, we can get into locally sourced herbs, minerals, and you know, all, all, it, it's kind of a lot. So what I want to do is kind of leave it to where if anybody wants to go and research this on their own, because there's a lot to definitely take some of this, look it up, look up some of these Roman surgeries, look up Roman brain surgery, look up the cataracts extraction, look up ancient forms of, um, numbing, you know, like, like those, uh, eels or the skates, whatever the hell they were. Um, look up some of this stuff, look up Galen. I'm almost positive it was Galen, but it's just re really fun things that you can get into. And I think you'll really be shocked at, how how advanced they really were in the fields of medicine where they were in the field of clean water is is just beyond and and we know that i mean there was enough aqueducts to circumnavigate the world if you actually stack them up all around each other um so the romans knew clean water was vitally important and in fact um there was a rome an, an italian hospital that was still having their water supply being drawn from a roman aqueduct as late as the 1950s so think about that. I mean, it survived World War II and it was still an active water supply for a hospital in Italy. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. Um, oh man, we're going to have to do it. We could do an entire episode just on how the Romans cleaned their water. It's actually genius. You would have water treatment supply plants. No kidding. The water from the aqueducts before they ever reached the public went through a water treatment supply um, uh, building and what it basically was anytime you know, we've all seen dirty water if you let it sit for long enough it settles at the bottom well what this was was a series of chambers that would bring in the, this water and it would go through these different chambers that were set up in such a way that it would take a long it would take time for the water to pass from one chamber into the other and while it was taking that time the sediment was settling and so there was X amount of chambers, depending on where the water was coming from, because the Romans were smart enough to know that different sourced water had different levels of cleanliness. Why send fresh, spring, you know, clean spring water through eight chambers of cleanliness if you don't have to? If, but if you were drawing from, say, a more dirtier river, then you might want to have a little bit more time. So they even knew from where the aqueduct was drawing how much of a filtration system they were going to need to produce what would be acceptable drinking water. And actually studies were done making the exact same um, type of filtration um, system, which is literally just sediment, like letting water, like sediment settle. Um, they, they, they replaced it using the exact same methods, same material. They even drew from the same water sources and let it go through its 
uh, you know, let it go through the process. Now, it was the water crystal clear and beautiful like Aquafina? No. But when they drank it, there was nothing wrong with that water. And they, when they read the minerals on it, it was actually incredible how clean it actually was. So, you know, I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I'm glad to be back. We'll be getting more into more consistent Tuesdays now. Um, so looking forward to that. Sorry for the big break after only a few episodes, but kind of just had to happen that way for a little bit. But we're back now, and we're going to bring Western Civ back from the abyss. So thank you all for listening, and have a great day.